What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Oh, yeah. I mean, hearing George Johnson talk about safe sex will really change a woman. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Spinsters, a basketball podcast where we dream of a world where all-stars can hug each other. I'm Haley O'Shaughnessy. I'm a recovering basketball writer. I'm Jordan Liggins. I'm an editor at Mojo. Jordan, it's All-Star Weekend. Did you think we'd be here? Define here. Like, <laughs> completely virtual, on a Zoom call together, us having a podcast together, or an All-Star game during a pandemic that's already killed 500,000 Americans. I will say of the three, uh, definitely only one of those is a good thing. And it's <laughs> that I get to be on a podcast with you and stare into your beautiful face um, <laughs> on this Zoom right now. But yes, uh, all of the above, mostly the all-star game. I can't believe something this shameless is happening. There have been many players who have said that they do not think this is a good idea and that they're insulted by it. LeBron James has said it's an insult. I mean, the players are already exhausted and they're playing a very erratic schedule that has been sped up in many aspects to try to stay on track for next season. Carl Anthony Towns has mentioned not wanting the game. And of all people, I think we should all, including the league, be very sensitive to what Carl Anthony Towns is feeling in regards to COVID and also probably pay attention to him as a real life example of it affecting your family in the worst possible way his mom passed away from covid it honestly is very irresponsible and it's an unprecedented time you know what so i thought it was unprecedented and then i remembered almost 30 years ago in 1991 the league was navigating a different deadly virus hiv when magic johnson announced that he'd contracted it on november 7th 1991 and I don't want to conflate the two. They are not the same health issue. Um, they are, as we're going to talk about, definitely not spread the same way. But I do think that the way that the world dealt with HIV and the way that the world has been dealing with COVID and even our country specifically and more specifically the NBA, mm -hmm. that is fair enough to compare. Um, and I will say that the NBA took a far more scientific approach with HIV than it has COVID this season. And so that's what I wanted to talk about today because I think that there are lessons to be learned from last time. And I also think the the way that it has been remembered might not completely be true, some in a good way and, and some in a bad way. So that's what I wanna talk about today. And Jordan, a quick cheers to us because this is our first feature story for spinsters. <laughs> Just so our listeners know, episodes for the show are going to be a mix of conversations, some interviews, and some episodes like this, where we explore a basketball story to try and figure something out. And today, I really want to show that basketball, in the midst of this current health crisis, really can inform society and not just in that, oh, it brings people together way. So Jordan, are you ready to get started? Yes, I'm so excited. Let's go. Okay, to start, Jordan, I'm really curious, what is your perception of that 1991 announcement and what came after? 
Well, I remember my parents saying like, yeah, it was a big thing, but nobody knew how to, what to do. And so we didn't really know what the, how it would affect the other players. Yeah, that's basically what I remember of it too. And remember is the wrong word because I should say neither Jordan or I was born at the time. <laughs> but I think the public perception of it was it's been passed down to our generation is that, oh, that's when people really got educated on HIV. And in hindsight, that the NBA really helped with that. But it was actually so much messier at the time. I'm really interested to figure out how this happened and what happened during that time. So where does the story start? Okay, so it's October 1991. I think we were in Paris. That's Charles Grantham. At the time, he was the director of the NBPA, which is the Players' Union. We had created a uh, McDonald's Open. The McDonald's Open was an exhibition tournament in Paris, and the Lakers played in it and won it because, you know, magic. Le maillot qui ne sera plus porté aux Lakers après la retraite de Magic Johnson. He won MVP of the tournament and was so beloved in France that the Sports Illustrated article I was reading about referred to him as Mansour Magic. That is the cutest nickname I've ever heard. Extraordinaire. Voilà pourquoi on adore le basket. Unfortunately, that was the last time Magic would play in a Lakers uniform for a while. Not long before the McDonald's Open, Magic had taken a routine blood test for a life insurance policy. Those results raised some concerns and led to further testing. And shortly after the McDonald's Open, doctors found that Magic was positive for HIV, the immune system virus that can lead to AIDS. For Charles and the Players Union, it put them in unknown territory. I think initially my reaction was pretty clear that we now had had an, an outside force, i.e. HIV, that was gonna have a major impact on our business. Immediately, Magic's agent calls NBA commissioner David Stern, who then calls his second in command, Russ Granick, the deputy commissioner at the time. I, I certainly remember that phone call. I was sitting at home one night and David called me and said, uh, sit down, you're not gonna believe this. You know, I was uh, shocked and saddened because Irvin had been a special kind of player both on and off the court. And, we had uh, gotten to know him better than a lot of other players, perhaps. And so it was a personal thing. And, and then later, it began to hit you what a huge story this was going to be. David told me they were going to make, uh, and Irvin was going to make this announcement. I think they had made the decision. They weren't going to hold it, which I think was, they were smart enough to realize something like that was going to leak and you're better off uh, making the announcement. So Russ used the word leak and like if it got out, the league wouldn't know what to do. Why are they treating it like a scandal? Well, keep in mind that this is 1991. Mm. It wasn't until like five years later that they had the first breakthrough in treatment. And that was the antiretroviral therapy, which was the new standard of care. And that was when people really saw the light at the end of the tunnel, or at least that's, that's a direct quote that one of the doctors I talked to told me. But in this moment in 1991, the HIV virus was seen as a fatal diagnosis. Mm. His doctors had reportedly given him three years to live, and everyone was really scared for magic. So he has the press conference as soon as possible. First of all, let me say good, good after late afternoon. Um, because of uh, the HIV virus that I have attained, uh, I will have to retire from the Lakers. Uh, today. Magic's retirement was so abroad, 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 abroad
Although the context is very different, you could compare this to Rudy Gobert testing positive for COVID last March and the league shutting down shortly after in that it suddenly got very real. But in 1991, Magic's retirement is where this stops being just a basketball story because the league was forced to address a global epidemic in a high-profile way. It started with how the players' union responded. The first step was finding a medical team to work with the league. We wanted to reduce the anxiety of not only the players, but their families. We had to also get the public to understand that we were doing something about a situation, that we were taking action. Taking action uh, on something that also potentially was going to affect your life. So Johns Hopkins became, in my opinion, became the most likely source because of their expertise and their immediate concern about aiding and assisting us. And so that's why they were the first uh, group that I reached out to. So at this point, you have owners demanding that all players get tested. You have players freaking out. The NBPA had to establish trust. So here's what they did. They flew clinicians from Johns Hopkins around to talk to all the teams about HIV and AIDS privately in their locker rooms. So wait, these doctors are literally flying around the country giving a safe sex talk to grown men? Yes, that's exactly what happened. And I managed to get two of the doctors that did this on a Zoom call together. It was so cute, too. They hadn't seen each other in 20 years. Dr. Johnson, how the hell are you, man? It's been a while. It sure has been. We've gotten we've gotten a little old. Oh, speak for yourself. <laughs> the two of them led this program funded by the NBPA and really shaped what the message was. Yeah, Michael Johnson. I'm an infectious disease doctor. And I am Alfred Saw, uh, internal medicine, infectious diseases. And I was with Michael at that time at Hopkins in the School of Public Health. These guys were responsible for dispelling misinformation, things like HIV being passed through sweat or even handshakes and hugs. Do either of you remember the first team you visited? Oh, I do. <laughs> it was uh, the 76ers. Philadelphia. Yes, it was. I, I would say there was this, um, you know, this attitude of partly trying to look cool in front of each other and some appearances of disinterest and expressions of disinterest. And then once we got into the material five or 10 minutes or so, especially because we made so much effort to make it interactive and involve them, uh, it, was, it would just flow. And then people would come and say, oh, thank you. That was great. You know, see you next year, that kind of thing. When he says interactive, what does that mean exactly? <laughs> So basically, they knew right off the bat they couldn't be giving lectures with slides. It was not going to connect with these guys. So, for example, we would have a series of activities on a, on a card that might go from hugging, kissing, you know, and then into some explicit sexual acts, protected or not protected with condoms, etc. And we'd ask them to each take a card and line up in order of least risk to most risk. And it was hilarious because they'd sit there and be arguing about whether, you know, one type of sex is more risky than another type of sex. You know, we were there at the end to help say, well, you know, maybe you should have been over. You should have lined up differently here. But they were taking ownership and investing themselves and arguing with each other about which kind of sexual activity might be uh, riskier, which is exactly what we wanted them to be thinking about. 
They even had to dispel the idea that you could tell if somebody had HIV based on how they looked. Yeah, you would be surprised how prevalent that thinking was. We'd pair up with a woman often if we were with the players, and there were many attractive women who would join us who had HIV and were willing to disclose. And of course, in those days, there was this myth that you could look at people and tell that they had HIV. The word was skanky. That was that was the word. You could just tell who was skanky back in those days. And, and of course, as Michael says, uh, it's a myth, a fallacy. To get kind of surprised by someone that, quote unquote, didn't look like they had HIV, um, I, I think also contributed to greater understanding of the situation. They realized that it was going to be difficult to have these conversations without having larger philosophical conversations about relationships and women and their opinions on women. That's really interesting. I feel like that's a little ahead of its time. Like those are the things that power dynamics and relationships and power dynamics and sex is what we talk about oh, now. exactly. And these are doctors from Johns Hopkins. They're not counselors. They could have just given them pamphlets and called it a day, but they knew that wasn't going to work. I mean, I remember one exercise we did was, what is the definition of infidelity? Even that would prompt a lot of discussion because, of course, not everybody has the same cut point of what's infidelity and what's not. And then you can go into a conversation of, okay, um, what makes that okay for you or anybody else to cross that line? And that gets into the power dynamics. So it seems like these are really difficult and nuanced conversations that they're having. Yeah, which really points to how complex this situation actually was. If you think about it, it was a labor rights issue. It was a health issue. It was an education issue. Mm -hmm. They really did have to dig into it. And Magic isn't even playing during all of this, right? No, they started the education program before that. But he is like very quickly very bored. Like a month mm -hmm. into his retirement, he tells David Stern, hey, I feel fine. And then something wild happened. The fans voted him into the 1992 All-Star Game. Three months ago, he announced his retirement from the NBA after testing positive for the HIV virus. But he was voted by the fans as one of the starting guards for the Western Conference stars. So his suddenly, David Stern has to figure out, are the owners going to go for this? Are the coaches going to go for this? Are the players going to go for this? Is the public going to go for this? So that's really interesting. What exactly are they going for? I mean... When I talked to Russ Granick, he made it pretty clear that him and David Stern and the rest of the NBA was really intent on doing the right thing. He was such a beloved figure to everyone in the NBA, and he also saved their league in the 80s. Like him and Larry Bird did so much for them, and he was also such a huge aspect of their marketing. And then also, I do think that they were thinking forward to, okay, we have him or had him on the 1992 Olympics roster. And when I talked to Russ, the deputy commissioner at the time, he said, yes, that was one of the NBA's biggest goals at the time to be mm -hmm. globally recognized. Well, that, that's true. And really the big global burst in the NBA's popularity came a year or two later following the Dream Team. And at the same time, this is a really unique opportunity for HIV awareness. People did not want to throw someone like Magic Johnson away. There was a real need for the public to understand and not to shun people. And, uh, you know, it went a long way that this was uh, Irvin that was involved because uh, I think people weren't anxious to shun him and were perhaps a little more willing to listen uh, to what the real facts were. After the break, Magic gets back on the court, but his comeback is cut short. Wow, it's finally summer, but also like, wow. How is it already summer? 
Either way, I'm welcoming this season with all things bedding, bath, loungewear from Brooklinen. And with their Memorial Day sale happening right now, Brooklinen's offering site-wide savings on all things comfort for this summer and beyond, working directly with manufacturers to ensure premium comfort at a fraction of the retail price. They deliver award-winning comfort direct to your door. Stock up on all things summer comfort and shop the Memorial Day sale now. And if you're listening to this podcast after the air date, don't worry. You can still go to brooklinen.com and use the code SPIN for $20 off your first order of $100 plus free shipping. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com and enter promo code SPIN for $20 off your first order of $100 plus free shipping. Brooklinen. Everything you need to live your most comfortable life. So with Magic voted in as an all-star in 1992, the next step was selling his involvement in the game, both to the fans and the players. The NBA and NBPA made a huge effort to be inclusive during All-Star Weekend. They added an extra spot on the roster. No one was kicked off because a retired player was voted in. The players seemed to be fine with it. Charles Barkley did give one of those shitty... It's taking away attention from the players, comments. But Tim Hardaway gave up his starting spot so Magic could start. In the locker room before the game, Charles, the director of the Players Union, suggested that all the players hug Magic in a show of solidarity. If you recall, during that time, Magic and Isaiah Thomas had a a sort of an ongoing ritual before every game that they would hug each other. And uh, I said, well, this is the time to continue that custom or that uh, ritual. In my opinion, it was really an emotional moment, but a moment also of realization that our players were willing to accept the knowledge that had been passed on and that they felt confident and that they trusted what we had done as being the right thing to do. Unfortunately, not all the players were on board as history would lead us to believe. There were still uneasy feelings about it. Dr. Johnson and Dr. Saw were in that locker room for the game, talking to the players about it. Yeah, there, there was that was a long conversation, and I think some were less less eager to do that than others, shall I say? But there is one funny story from that. Is there one player who, of course, I, I can't call anybody out, who at the end of this conversation said, "No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that." And people looked at him, and he said, "I don't even hug my wife in public. I can't do that." <laughs> it wasn't about it. It wasn't about HIV. It was about his own, you know, sort of self-image. <laughs> it really shows what the times were. If you watch games now, before and after, it is a complete love fest. People are hugging each other, even when they're not supposed to for COVID reasons. They have specific handshakes. LeBron has a billion of them. And everyone is loving on each other. Why wouldn't you do the same for Magic, who's your teammate, a fellow all-star, And everyone else loves him. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, and that's something I really love about today. I love any time that men are platonically open with how they feel about each other. Mm -hmm. And feeling comfortable about this now is definitely not something that was around then, even apart from the HIV scare. It just wasn't really a thing. I mean, that guy just, I mean, one of the players just said he didn't even hug his wife. So when I saw the video from that all-star game and so many of the players did go up and hug him and it started with Isaiah Thomas and Michael Jordan who were two of his closest friends at the time it was so touching for me and Mm -hmm. 
big shocker. I cried. But yeah, I absolutely loved it. And I can see why people have remembered this so fondly because the moments that stood out were so impactful. One of the greatest players of all time, making the swap all-star game appearance, Magic So there was the all-star game. People hugged. You cried. <laughs> what, what happens next? Because there is this, this huge stigma that's still surrounding HIV. Yeah, absolutely. And when I talked to doctors and researchers for the time, they really spelled out how prominent a moment this was for them and how important it was because there was such a huge stigma around it still. But it was really cool for them to see something like this on such a big stage. And one doctor I spoke with, I asked him if he remembered the 92 All-Star Game and he immediately rattled off Magic stats. 25 points and nine assists by Magic Johnson, right? Okay, so you do remember it. <laughs> This doctor is Michael Gottlieb, a physician in Los Angeles. And I have been involved with HIV since the start of the epidemic uh, in 1981 here in the United States. Uh, when I was at UCLA, I authored the first reports uh, describing AIDS as a new disease. I'm sorry, did he legit discover AIDS? Yes, he was on the research team that first identified AIDS. And what he made sure to remind me of was that this game in 92, where Magic was voted All-Star MVP and then after even with the dream team was before 96 which was when the first truly effective treatment was found so magic was doing all of this while it was still very much a quote-unquote death sentence to see uh, someone living with hiv uh, go on to play in the, the largest arenas and greatest settings of the game was exciting to me and uh, it was a thrill with the All-Star Game behind them, the NBA turned its sights on the Olympics that summer. But because the global understanding of HIV was still pretty limited, the Olympics Committee in some countries took convincing to let Magic play. Again, Deputy Commissioner Russ Granick. We were able to persuade FIBA and the Australian Basketball Federation, which I think was the one that registered the most complaint. We were able to convince them they were not going to contract HIV by playing basketball with them, which is something we tried to do for the entire world at that point. And uh, they relented and allowed him to be a member of the team. So they let Magic play, and you know what happens next. The dream team, baby! Magic with the spin. It's wonderful. It's cemented in history. He plays the All-Star game. He plays with the dream team, and it's a happy ending all around. Right? Mm. Do you recall what happens next? I think I remember Magic trying to make a full comeback the next season, right? Well, he says he's going to and obviously play in a limited capacity because people are still concerned about his health. But it's not really the happy ending that I recalled. And lingering paranoia from coaches and players stops him from coming back. So it's kind of a gut punch to all the effort that the NBA and MBPA had made up to that point. There was uh, several complaints, but uh, he, it was his choice and he chose not to continue. I think his, his position was that there were enough players that were concerned about it that would make him more concerned. And um, his feeling was that that would be the appropriate time for him to discontinue playing. But by then, we had already established 
that the work environment was suitable and that we could play and overcome this odd here. You know, we can overcome this obstacle. Uh, and I can remember meeting with the play reps at the time and, and essentially talking about magic coming back into the game and uh, making them all aware that the environment was safe and that it would certainly, certainly be acceptable that all of us act like this is a usual game that we can congratulate each other, we can hug each other, we can do all the things that we normally do. I just imagine Charles being like a parent in this situation with his parent voice, like, okay, everybody, it's safe for Magic to play with you guys, act like it's normal, make sure to welcome him. I love that. I love that mental image in my mind. I know, me too. And I wish that it had just been that easy and, and all the players went along with him. But it definitely was not. And there are some really vile reactions, especially notably Carl Malone. And I actually want you to read one especially awful quote from him at the time. So I'm sending this to you now. Okay, here it is. So this is Carl Malone saying this. They can't tell you that you're not at risk. And you can't tell me there's one guy in the NBA who hasn't thought about it. My comment was not for the guy to retire. That's not the issue here. I'm looking at a small picture here. Now, if you can't tell me that deep in your heart that you're not concerned or your family is not concerned, then I don't think you're the man you think you are. Maybe I said something the other guys thought but wouldn't say. I'm not going after magic or any people with the HIV virus or anything. I'm merely looking at Carl Malone's safety and his teammates. Carl, I hate this quote. You literally just played with him on the dream team. It's so appalling and disgusting to me. Also, stop referring to yourself in the third person. That's so <laughs> annoying. And honestly, so this is going to sound a little conspiratorial, but Charles told me explicitly that he thinks this was about getting a competitive edge, that players and owners are saying this stuff privately and publicly because they don't want to go up against Magic, who was one of the best players at the time. So we played in the Olympics and everything was pretty good. We won the gold medal. We come back, we start playing the season. And then I hear from an owner that says, you know, Charlie, uh, the players on my team aren't comfortable playing against Magic. I said, well, isn't that interesting? It was perfectly okay for him to represent the United States and play against all of that competition and win a gold medal and come home. But now that we're vying for an NBA championship, all of a sudden we come up with this. I mean, I kind of believe what Charles is saying here because it's Magic Johnson. He was in his prime. He just turned 33. He went to the finals in, in 1991. Um, I totally understand the target being on his back, but I don't know if that's the whole story, you know? Yeah, I mean, it definitely is a conspiracy, but I think what he's saying is true at its base that it will be easier for teams to be successful without one of the best players actually in the league. You would think that they would actually want him on the court because in order to be the best, you have to beat the best and... You should want that. But doesn't he try to come back at some point, or what happens? Eventually, Magic does return in 1995. Oh, here, he comes. here comes Magic, I told you. You got to get him in. 
He wasn't supposed to come in until the five-minute mark, but Magic's coming in right now. Listen to this crowd. They speak for us. He's 36. He hasn't played in three years. He's slower on his feet. The Lakers lose in the first round, and Magic doesn't agree with how he was used in those games. So he retires again. He gave this statement that says, I'm ready to give it up. It's time to move on. I'm going out on my terms, something I couldn't say when I aborted a comeback in 1992. His agent also says that this has nothing to do with his health. As far as we know, Magic remained healthy in between his retirements and didn't feel the effects of HIV that many do, and the stigma in society was becoming less and less. There are a handful of things that were longer lasting than Magic Johnson's comeback. The PSAs that the NBA put out, and the Johns Hopkins program, which lasted over five years. What I want to end on, though, is this tape from a boys and girls club where a couple of NBA players and their wives visited with the Johns Hopkins program to talk about HIV. It's a sex education seminar more progressive than most schools teach today. It's a shining example of what a role model actually can be. And Dr. Johnson said it was one of the proudest moments of his career. That was probably the highlight of my professional career to see these these players and these kids looking up to them and, and hearing these messages that they would never, the kids would never internalize from me. I want to tell my friends not to discriminate against people that have AIDS because they're just like me and you, except they just have um, a sickness that can't be taken away. So condoms are made to fit any size. They fit any size. When they say it can fit around your hand, so when they say condoms, too, you know, you're too big for condoms. That's not true because, you know, it basically can, can fit over your head. One little girl was really, she has a lot of fear to talk about AIDS. And she just, in our little session, she didn't want to talk about it. No, I know about it. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to discuss it. And in the end, she came out and admitted pretty much that she knew somebody and it has touched her really closely because she had tears in her eyes. And I learned from her that a lot of the kids in here maybe who aren't paying attention as much or so or have that fear that she has, it's for a reason. I'm gonna say to my friends, AIDS, don't, don't catch them. Don't, if you don't want, if you, if you don't want to have sex, don't do sex. Always use a condom, have safe sex, safe sex, and use your mind. That's it. So Jordan, that was the first Spinster's history lesson. What did we learn? I I loved it because it was like we said from the top, you know, when we were told things and when our parents told us or just looking back at highlights, the story was told a little different. How the NBA got ahead of this. Uh, They're so proactive. But on the health issues, it's interesting now with with COVID and how the NBA is really on the defense. It seems like they're so reactionary instead of taking the offense approach, being proactive, getting education and resources in front of not only NBA players, but in in front of the country. And when Rudy Gobert contracted COVID, that was a moment as an American, not only as an NBA fan, that it became real to me. 
When the NBA shut down, it became real. And that was an opportunity that they could have put information out there, been an educational resource. And so now, fast forward to having an all-star game, I don't think that's where we need to be. Yeah, I mean, if you, again, we're not comparing the two viruses, but I do think it's fair to compare reactions. Back then in the 90s, what science meant for the league was letting Magic Johnson play in the all-star game. And what science means in 2021 is not having that all-star game. That's our show. Stay safe out there. And if you're watching the All-Star Game with anyone, don't hug them, please. But if they're vaccinated, hug the shit out of them because that's awesome. This episode of Spinsters was written and hosted by me, Haley O'Shaughnessy, and Jordan Liggins. Our editor is Alex Ward with production by Isabel Jocelyn and Jordan Liggins. Reporting by me and Isabel. Our production coordinator is Devin Shepard and our executive producers are Peter Moses, John Yales, and me. Hey, this is Jared from San Antonio, and my NBA confession is that I think that the Suns were better off taking DeAndre Ayton rather than Luka Doncic. I personally just think that, like, Luka Doncic and Devin Booker probably couldn't coexist together, but who am I? I don't know. All right, bye. Love the show.